This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Anne Nicholson Weber, and we're going to be talking about the production of Stones in His Pockets by Marie Jones at Northlight Theater. Uh, it's directed by J.R. Sullivan, who's with us, and two of the cast members, in fact, the only two cast members, uh, David Ivers and Brian Vaughn. Um, and I think if you could just kick us off, J.R., by explaining a little bit about the nature of the piece, what it's about, and how is it constructed? Sure. Thank you. Uh, well, two, uh, two fellows who don't know, e- know each other, uh, uh, are discovered on, on site at the shoot of, uh, what's described as a kind of major on location Hollywood epic and, uh, some sort of romantic epic, uh, set at some point in Ireland's history. Everything we hear about that movie, in fact, in the play would indicate that it's not a very good movie, uh, <laughs> certainly a very formulaic right. kind of movie. But of course, that's not the story at all. It's a story of these uh, two uh, Irish fellows, one from the north, uh, Charlie Conlon, and uh, one from the south, uh, Jake Quinn. And he and Charlie meet on the set and uh, befriend each other. And uh, Marie Jones is uh, Conceit here is that that these two actors play everybody uh, in the play. There are fifteen total characters uh, th- uh, that speak in the play, and uh, of both sexes, and uh, they play them all. And I think that's important because uh, uh, it's critical to see how the experience of this uh, film shoot, this event, these three weeks or so in their lives. Uh, how all of these other characters filter into their experience of what happens to them and how that experience transforms them into leaving the identity of a couple of nobodies to becoming a couple of somebodies. That's interesting. Well, so maybe David and Brian, you could quickly describe the multitudes that you each play in addition to your main characters of, of Jake and Charlie. So, Brian? Um, so I play Charlie, who's central to the piece. I also play Simon, who is the first AD. And I play Caroline Giovanni, who is the American Hollywood starlet. And I play Finn, who is a local lad. I play Jock Campbell, who is a security guard to Caroline Giovanni. Very muscle-bound. You made that clear. Yes, yes. The heavy, as they call Uh him, um, Scottish. And I play Clem Curtis, who is the director of the film. And then I also play Brother Gerard, who is um, a local school teacher. Um, And uh, I'm trying to think who the last one is. I think there's one more, but... Well, those are the the main ones, obviously, since they're the ones you remember. And David, so what's your cast? Uh, Centrally, Jake Quinn. Um, uh, I play Ashling, who is the second AD, later the first AD. Uh, And that's your female role. That's my female role. Um, I play Mickey Reardon, who is uh, a long-time elderly statesman of the extra film world. Um, I play Sean Harkin, a young lad from the community at various ages. I play uh, Dave, um, who is a a kind of barfly film crew hanger-on 
Um, Cockney. Cockney. Um, I play uh, Kevin Doherty, a TV interviewer. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that's about it. So if from the point of view of the actor, it's something of a tour de force to create not one, but seven or eight characters who are distinguishable in a second. They have to be because you're playing scenes often almost with yourselves. I mean, you, you, we are often. Yeah. <laughs> um, so maybe starting with JR, but I would think that that was one of the technical things that you would have spent a lot of time on in rehearsal. And so talk each of you about, you know, your process for that. Yeah. This, we've talked about this a lot, uh, certainly with our, among ourselves. Uh, but the, it, it's an instantaneous thing, f- uh, for them and for the audience, a certain, f- uh, uh, gesture physically, uh, a certain posture, uh, a certain silhouette, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, that, that is that person. I think initially in the play, those things are all pushed a little bit to the extreme, you know, uh, to make them more, uh, theatrical and more immediately identifiable and also to set a rhythm of, uh, uh, each new character has to top in with energy, mm-hmm. uh, and that is the fun of the uh, of the engagement, you know, with the play at the beginning, until the story takes hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, afterwards, as the as the story progresses, uh, and certain of the scenes get longer in the text, uh, that becomes less important because uh, the audience becomes uh, acclimated. Uh, both to the character and what we're about here, what the what the storytelling method is. Mm-hmm. But the primary thing at the beginning, and I know the uh, the guys can talk about this too, is that aspect of uh, stance, posture, gesture that uh, that delineates a new character. Well, here's maybe a way to start getting at it. How different was it for each of you as you're creating your your supporting roles? Mm-hmm. Um, how different was your process than it would be if you're just doing one role in a play? Is there is there a difference that you can describe? I don't really think there's a difference as far as the approach. I mean, the goal has been to try to make them as three-dimensional as possible, each one of them, and to give them their own arc and their own story through the course of the play. The challenging aspect of it is how clearly they're defined, I think, for the actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the gesture and the vocal dexterity comes in because we're not using costume changes or wigs or any of that to sort of distinct, help distinguish the different personalities or characters that we're portraying. Um, it relies on us. And the gesture became the most specific thing that I think it was our sort of a linchpin into each character, a specific shape, silhouette, um, mm-hmm. gesture that can be easily definable for the audience, but could also help link us into who they are. Um, mm-hmm. And that also relies on um, the dialect as well. A lot of the varying re- regional dialects um, that also help, I think, define who they are and different sex and age and weight and all that kind of stuff. Well, let's different. take an example. Cause I think it'll be easier for someone who hasn't seen the show. I mean, when you're talking, here are some of the things I'm instantly seeing. I'm seeing David as the old man, practically hunched over double. I'm seeing David as the, what's her name? Ashley. Ashley, with his hand up in the air and doing this little gesture. I'm seeing, um, is it Finn, who you used a sort of a mm-hmm. thing with your elbows in the jacket to create? That's when you say silhouette. Because right. it's an odd posture. I mean, I don't know, do people really do it? But instantly... 
we know that's a particular person. Right. So just take one of the, maybe David, would you take one of those and, and talk about where it came from? Like in, when, when did you discover that Ashley, I'm sorry, I can't see her. Ashlyn. Yeah. Ashlyn has her hand up in the air and does this little <laughs> pokey thing with her fingers and her thumb. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, to be honest, I, I can't remember when we hit on it, but, mm -hmm. but I, I can imagine when we did, uh, there was a, a solid collaboration between Jim and myself and, and Brian where, I, Jim suggested something or I tried something. I know we talked very, very uh, early on and very specifically about the way into these characters is uh -huh. through what we've discussed. Silhouette, gesture, mm -hmm. vocal range, you know, right. higher in the voice, lower in the voice. And that we needed to find uh, a signature for that, a coda. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I think through experiment, experimentation, Jim would say, uh, that's the one mm -hmm. lock in, lock into that. That works really well. Yeah. I remember that. Actually, I remember the conversation we had about that Ashling, you know, uh, keep quiet gesture of hers that, uh, I, I was on the subway in New York going to work, uh, uh, one day, uh, before our first production and, uh, uh, it's the C train, which goes by the Museum of Natural History, lets off there. And there's always a bunch of kids yeah. on the, uh, on the, uh, on that train, sometimes in my car, you know, and there are these one or two teachers trying to, <laughs> trying to corral them and trying to keep their attention. And I noticed them having, having developed gestures, you know, with them, uh, uh, that they should recognize immediately. And I think that our, our, when you began experimenting with that, I remember us uh, having that conversation because they do talk to the, uh, Irish extras like they are cattle, you know, like mm -hmm. they're, or children at best, yeah. you know, and, uh, and, uh, that, that was the kind of thing that, uh, a collaborative process. And there were a no number of versions of that until David, uh, came up with the one that, uh, that we settled on. Uh, but because, David is is also tall. Uh, his Ashling <laughs> is willowy, is willowy, <laughs> and dominates the uh, the stage. So his arm right. goes up that way. He's and, really and, tall, and you can yeah. see why they. Someone would have said, "Well, she'd be a good second AD. They'd right. be able to see her in the right. landscape." Don't pay attention. It's funny though, you know the um, the thing about it is, it, uh, you know, you mentioned that uh, I don't know who does that with pockets or, you know, but the reality is, you know, truth is so much stranger than fiction. Mm. I mean, we all spend more time perhaps than anyone looking at people in airports and whatever. And I mean, if you really mimicking, right, is, is a huge form of flattery, but mimicking is also because there's a grain of truth. I mean, um, people that, that make their money being impersonators, they pick up on a quality, a vocal thing, you know, um, the uh, equivalent of the suspenders on Larry King or, you uh -huh. know what I mean? Like, signature. Like we, yeah, there's yeah. a signature thing that people identify with, mm -hmm. Jay Leno's jaw, you know, um, and I, we're in the same truthful terrain. Of course, the the line about stones in his pockets that, that I feel like we don't cross and should never cross is, is uh that we're winking at anything, mm -hmm. right? You know, it's not greater tuna. It's not this sort of like we're going to be all these different people with different costumes and wigs, and now we'll go off and change and put on lipstick and have a sight gag moment. Mm -hmm. There's a core to everyone on this film set and in this play that Mari Jones makes sure has something at stake. Mm -hmm. One turn for any one of them 
could mean a different life. Truly, even the guy who's Dave, who has eight lines about selling drug, you know, giving drugs away. Mm-hmm. You know, if he's caught, it's over. You know, by the wrong people. Mm-hmm. Ashlyn could be demoted as quickly as she is promoted. You know, so every single person has an investment in the potency of what's happening on this little tiny in this little tiny place with this gigantic. Um, potent influence of Hollywood. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I, I do think the gesture, I'll call it the gesture of each character, I feel is really rooted into their psychological makeup of who, who we think they are, mm-hmm. you know? The, the it's not just in, a trick, you're Exactly. Yeah. The hands in the pockets for Finn became my idea of looking at Irish youth culture of these rural kids who were wearing Levi jackets and they were bunched up, you know, mm-hmm. because they're cold and they're walking for uh, miles right. at a time. So his physical makeup is a lot different than somebody we might find somewhere else. Caroline is a Hollywood starlet who is obsessed with how she looks and her hair became a signature gesture for me, as well as her sort of posing Mm -hmm. without really knowing she's posing, always Mm -hmm. sort of on. Clem Curtis, the director, is somebody who's an older British Richard Attenborough type to me, somebody who's looking at a monitor, sitting for long periods of time eating food on a set, you know, all of this stuff is incorporated into how these people are, I think for each one of us, that I think the audience, which is part of the beauty of the piece, they begin to use their imagination to fill out the depth of these people. Mm -hmm. Um, And that to me is part of the brilliance of the storytelling component of it, you know, that it, it requires the audience to use their imagination to help move them forward with the story. Right. Um, And it, is synonymous with Irish storytelling and all of that as well. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I think I'm just, so, I want to stay still a little bit longer on this because from the actor's point of view, typically you have to build one arc and that's your work in rehearsal. In this, you have to build seven and switch back and forth from one to the next to the next. Is there anything you did differently in the way you prepare or the way you thought about it? Were there any tricks you learned for how to deal with this kind of a, of a challenge? It was just, it's a bit of a mind scramble, frankly, for a while. Yeah. And it should be. Yeah. The text, the way she lays out the text is like you're reading a 15 character play. There's no, this is what Jim did so brilliantly. JR is our directors. There's no, and now, Ashling turns around and becomes, right. you know, it's she just didn't written. solve the problem of the transformations no, for you. You had to not solve that at all. Right. Right. Um, and so just as an exercise of like, how do I get to that person? Jim? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Brian, That's somebody right. help me. If you picked up the script and, and for some reason the, uh, the <laughs> cast page was not <laughs> with it, you would think it was a 15 character play oh, yeah. and oh, it yeah. would look, it would look unproducible. Yeah. Now she did assign though the sub, characters right she created which cast each of you plays I don't she, she did not no yeah. you had to decide yeah, that she did it's, not although this is this is the only way it can work yeah, it's fairly yeah. obvious uh-huh. but, but let me just say this though in terms of the how you would you know uh, address the, that in rehearsal mm-hmm. you, you know once you kind of see a little bit of clarity of through the help of the director and everything it's it becomes very thrilling because of course you all of a sudden have to make decisions as an ensemble uh about certain the destiny of certain characters that you're responsible for playing and how you slingshot yourself through the play Mm -hmm. that is a different uh kind of thing but very exciting but we do that anyway generous actors i think should do that 
figure out for other playing people, or, Mercutio, mm-hmm. how you slingshot Romeo through the play. I see what you're saying, right. How you spend your time serving that young man's story. Right. We just have to do that for ourselves in the most generous right. way. Right. I can tell you one trick that I still rely on is that m- my text is highlighted in seven different highlighters mm-hmm. and colors. And I have often, and still do in my dressing before the show, read, for instance, last night I was looking at my blue text. Mm-hmm. And blue is Mickey. So you just you read one just, story. And I would just like read from beginning to end, like mm-hmm. skip blue to blue to blue to right, blue. Right, right. Um, and Ashling, of course, is in pink. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, uh, it's very specific. Sean is in green for Ireland, you know, uh-huh. about, so that was kind of fun to sort of have a coda there about right. how those associations happen. And let's talk a little bit now about the transitions because that's, um, well, all of your jobs, I would think JR would have had a big hand in that. Um, so for instance, these are the things I remember. One is kind of a little pirouette. You would like turn your back on the audience. And when you came back around, you were somebody different. I also remember that sometimes the transformation went instantaneous. And sometimes it was like the character would drain out of you. Um, so talk a little bit about how you made those decisions. And did they mean anything, whether someone in, was on the dime or, you know, it's a slower transformation? Well, early on, uh, it was, it's a bare stage, essentially, except for a coat tree, uh, a couple of chairs, and a, a, a road, road trunk. Road trunk, that's yeah, so mm. words I was looking for. Uh, Which uh, is a movie thing. A movie thing, right. right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, the, and then the, uh, the boards, uh, you know, the floor, the wood of the floor, which is, which represents Ireland. Uh, but that's it, you know, so it's them, it's up to them, it's the actor's body. And, and we used, um, especially in the early sp- stages of the piece, you know, stepping behind one character coming, uh, behind, mm-hmm. you know, from the other, so that in the process of going around Crossing and disappearing behind. for a moment uh-huh. and then reappearing, they could assume the other person. So that, that crossing, staging feature which we call pick and roll uh to use a a, a basketball or right. even a term uh just to, just to give ourselves a shorthand in the early stages of rehearsal uh then turns into something that just becomes immediate you know as i say as the right. rhythm of the piece picks up which is also a match to the uh, compression the kind of chaotic uh compression of the film shoot uh-huh. as they fall behind schedule and as they deal with their problems they get less not that they're humane with the uh, <laughs> to start with, with the extra, right. with the extras in the beginning. I mean, they are to the extent that they, we pay them and we feed you, and you got to be here on time. That's right. it. Right. But they get they get less and less patient and more and more condescending to them as the thing goes on, as their problems getting increase. more frantic. But yeah. that, as I say, that's by that time the audience uh, seems to be acclimated to uh, what we're about here. And of course, that's part of the process of of producing any plays, you teach the audience about the world of the play and then now they know and you can kind of go. But to me, it feels like that's just so crucial and doing that quickly and clearly for a script like this probably takes more of your energy than it would in another play. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we can tell, you know, the it's just you have to take for a fact that the first 15 minutes of the play is about recognition for the audience. Right. Just following what's going on. A is this on. and B is this and C. Is and then this, gradually, right? I think it just sort of flows over them, right. you right. know. And, and the makeup of the script works that way, too, in its structure. You know, how we go into each character as it starts snowballing the story Mm -hmm. the shifts get faster the character changes get quicker sometimes 
one actor going bouncing back and forth between two characters, you know, in the course of four lines. In the conversation, right? Right. And uh and I think by that point in the play everybody everybody knows immediately who they are, you know, and it's beautiful the way it works that way and and fun as an actor. Right. You know. Um Well it does make it a play about theater because mm-hmm. it's and and very much in contradistinction to film. I mean I think it's no accident that it's about film and then we're sitting here thinking about the very nature of how two people can embody 15 people before our eyes and and it's just really fun to watch but you're also seeing the story you're seeing you're seeing two things at once you're seeing the story in your imagination and you're seeing these two guys do this amazing thing (laughs) and both are really fun you know Uh, i I love transitionally too that she's so smart and this is where i think it differs from a lot of other two-handers where you play or plays where you play multiple people mm -hmm. is that a lot of the transitions from character to character most of them frankly are not for comic effect right they're actually hugely, some of them are just hugely poignant, you know. Some of them are about observing somebody's behavior, you know, who you've just played or, you know, and, and, and I find that so, um, one, there's less pressure, you know, in a really good way, just technically from an actor. It's like you're not driving here towards the laugh. You're driving to hold on to the seed of the story. Mm-hmm. That is really rewarding. Uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in a different way than doing something just for comic effect. Surprise and comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Comedy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so then that leads us, I think, pretty naturally to the question of playing women. Um, and how do you, as, you know, not the slightest bit feminine actors, either of you, um, develop a female character and believe in her and, and play her? Well, I know, I mean, for me, playing Caroline, who's, you know, there's this tad a bit of extravagance to her just mm-hmm. as a who she is, her mm-hmm. makeup as a Hollywood starlet. Right. And yet at the same time, I love her to death because I think she's completely real and believable in the sense of what that makeup is of who she is. But she's come, I believe she's coming from a place of absolute sincerity of trying to be the best actress she can. Right in the midst of something that's probably greater than her talent is giving itself to, Uh you know? And I like to, I mean, in the course of playing it, I don't think, I mean, I have to play it as authentically and realistically as I can. Do you, did you watch women? Did you watch some particular woman? How, I mean, is it different from creating any character? Um, not as far as like the basic makeup of playing a character. I don't think it's different. I think uh-huh. the same thing comes into any character you play. Uh-huh. What's my objective, wants, actions, needs, all that kind of stuff plays right. into it. The biggest thing was physical gesture and, and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think there's some humor, obviously, at the fact of a guy playing a woman. And then gradually, I think you kind of get over that. That's and right. Then and then you just see the, the woman. See her. Right. You know, I and think that's right. But Did- I like playing her a lot, you know, and I, I, I'm I'm very fond of her. Um, I'll say that uh, you know I, I'm sure that there's uh, I'm sure there's an equal amount of wait what is this uh, as as there would be with Mickey and you know uh, other other characters. Mm. You mean in the transformation? Uh, yeah, just the transformation. Who are right? Uh, it's just more readily uh, in your face when you see the extremity perhaps of the gesture or mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, you know, I, I of course. Don't want to be. I don't want to offend women, and we don't want to offend anyone. Which is why we're, you know, at one point I remember experimenting with a very high sort of voice and very, and it was like, okay, that's a stereotype. Mm-hmm. You know, what are we going to do? 
there. Um, so I'm, I'm comforted by two things. One, Mari Jones, a woman, has wrote a play with two men playing all of these characters. Right. I'm also comforted by the fact that these two women that happen to be in this play have very distinct, very clear points of views that service the play and their worlds within the play in a very linear, specific kind of way. Our job, of course, is to serve that first. And uh, I don't know that we'd ever get around, um, uh, uh, like, no one's going to believe I'm a 72-year-old Irish man. Right. Uh, I don't know if we'd ever get around that issue. And frankly, I'm not sure it should be our responsibility to justify either one based on the sexuality. Well, isn't it more like... It, it, when you talked about storytelling, it's, it's a different kind of embodying, right? It's a, it's a gesture that any storyteller does when they're making clear one character to another. You're not trying to look like a female Hollywood star. You're not using your whole self in quite the same way you do for a role that is more naturally fitting on your physical self. It's, I, I'm sort of muddling it around here, but I'm, there is, to me, there was some distinction between the way you embody Charlie and Jake and the way you embody everybody else. Yeah, well, absolutely. we did. I mean, absolutely. That's sort of central to how we key into playing each character. Right. We always sort of, even in the play, we always come back to Jake and Charlie. Always. It always comes back to the two of them. It's their story through this whole thing. Right. Where, how they climb out of nothingness to establish identity. And together and needing one another. And that, I think, when we began the creation of this process, always came back to David and I. Uh Charlie is just my center, who I am in this role. And then from that come these different characters that come out of that. Of course, Caroline has a different posture. She leads from a different center of her body. Her, she, I think she I wish people could hair. see the minute yeah. you say her name, you start to do her gestures. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's hard not to, but uh-huh. and it's the same for all of them, uh-huh. not just Caroline. Simon, he's grafted to his walkie talkie, you know, Clem. Right. Each one of them comes from a different center in our body. And I think David's right. We, we try not to put more emphasis on one more than the other, uh-huh. you know, that uh-huh. they're all just who they are, um, right. without commentating on. You know, I think initially people go, oh, it's a guy playing a girl, but then you forget about that pretty quickly. Just the way you do. It's a young guy playing an old guy or, or exactly. whatever. Although it isn't quite that's, the same. Not for me. I'm 6'5". I'm and-, <laughs> <laughs> and you're <laughs> leaning over double. That's pretty yeah. pretty uncomfortable, I have to imagine. I, I think I'm just um, interested. It, there, there's clearly something deep in us that cares a whole lot about gender. And there's yeah. some way that when you cross the gender line, the audience has a different experience of the transformation probably. than probably any other yeah. transformation. I don't know that it's political. I think it's just uh, yeah. human. But I think what Brian's saying, too, is that, you know, um, I I get that. And, of course, I, I would say that everyone in this room is, is hugely conscientious of, of that notion. But I think when building this, you know, um, there, there was less of awareness uh, internally of that and more of an awareness of I have a job to do delineating right. Right. seven or eight different people and how right. they serve this story. Right. And yeah. and it can't be that subtle because subtlety, right. you know, I, it can start to shift subtle later. But I think it's also yeah. what Mari Jones is saying about the play and about people anyway. Mm-hmm. You can look at someone and initially establish some specific stereotype about who they are 
until you walk in their shoes and see yeah. what the makeup of those people are right. by the end of it. Right. And I that think is... that's sort of the beauty of the piece. Yes. That it comes down to who these people are within that. And learning about each other, which you're doing by actually embodying them all. JR, mm-hmm. do you have anything to say about this that we're Well, talking I would about? say that the what the actor's art is an absolute uh uh emblem for what the uh what the, what the human endeavor is here and what what I would hope an audience uh realizes because if if we are all in the act of becoming then their act of becoming either new characters mm-hmm. on stage or characters that become new characters by the end of the play because of what happens to them which mm-hmm. we hope happens in any uh good play uh or any one of us is an audience member who 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 I believe most of us regard our lives as works in progress, that we're all on the way to something else, that hopefully we're learning more as we go along to that something else, that we are we are moving to something that is more than what was. Mm-hmm. Everything is an act of becoming. Mm-hmm. So this play is about that for Charlie and Jake, but it also absolutely represents that in everything they're doing on stage. Right, right. Anything else that you think we should touch on before we come call it a day? Yeah, come see us. Great. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about it. Thanks. Thank you.